You are listening to the Encyclopedia of the Macabre. Episodes may contain content that is disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome. You are listening to the Encyclopedia of the Macabre, where I delve into the legends, folklore, facts, and history of all that is ghastly, ghostly, and grim. So this is my first episode, and I wanted to introduce myself. I'm choosing to remain nameless, but I don't want to be a stranger to you all, so let me tell you a bit about myself. I've always had a fascination with the dark and spooky and the morbid side of life. Ever since I was little, I've thrown myself into books of ghost stories, horror novels, and then when the internet came along, every website I could find about the supernatural or true crime. If you're like me, then you've probably fallen down the internet rabbit hole on more than a few occasions, and possibly even had your friends and family tell you that your interest in the supernatural, the spooky, and the macabre was just a phase that you would grow out of. But it wasn't, at least not for me. When I was trying to decide what my first episode would be about, there were so many things to choose from. But how could I decide? Well, maybe it was my lifelong interest in ghost stories or growing up in a religious household, but this one particular object has always captured my imagination and I knew I had to do research into how it came about. So get comfortable, Dim the lights and maybe pour yourself a drink as I crack open the first chapter of the Encyclopedia of the Macabre, the history of the mystifying oracle Ouija. No matter your age or nationality, chances are you could easily identify a Ouija board if shown one. It has an iconic teardrop-shaped planchette made of plastic with a clear circular window. The board contains the alphabet, numbers, and the words yes, no, and goodbye. Depending on the manufacturer and the age of the board, it could be made up of wood, resin, plastic, or cardboard, and covered in an assortment of symbols, although usually at a minimum it has depictions of the sun and the moon. When the Ouija board was first released, the emphasis was on what it could do, with very little information on how exactly it worked. The idea was simple, though. With your fingertips placed on the edges of the planchette, the spirits would move the planchette from letter to letter, answering the questions put forth by the participants. Scientists explain it differently, of course. All humans display something called the ideometer effect. Basically, it's movement in our muscles that happens unconsciously. So while you and your friends are exclaiming, I swear it wasn't me, I wasn't moving it. You quite possibly were, you just didn't realize you were doing it. But even if you are moving it unconsciously, how do you explain the board's apparent ability to answer questions truthfully or make predictions 
or give facts that no one touching Planchette should know. Well, we can't, really, which is why it's such a mystery. Now the Ouija board is more than just popular. It's a pop culture icon. It plays a leading role in many films and television shows and can even be bought as a special edition. There's a glow-in-the-dark Ouija board. There's also a Stranger Things-themed Ouija board, despite the fact that the original Ouija board doesn't play any role in the hit Netflix show. And of course, you can find the iconic Ouija board planchette design on everything from bedding and rugs to jewelry and nail art. But how did we get here? How did Ouija evolve from a tool of spiritualist to a family activity, to a tool to summon malevolent spirits, and then to a party game for semi-rebellious teens? Well, it all started with three sisters and a war. Truthfully, communicating with the afterlife is something that's been attempted for centuries all over the world. But Ouija's story begins with the Fox sisters of New York State. The two younger sisters claimed to be able to communicate with the spirits through a series of wraps on their walls and furniture. And the older sister, seeing the money-making potential and fame, as well as the excitement shown by neighbors who flocked to witness the little sister's abilities, took to managing the younger sister's spiritual careers. They went on to give many public seances throughout New York State in the 1850s and articles about their abilities were published in many other states. Although years later, the sisters admitted the whole thing was a sham, it had already had the effect of titillating the masses and increasing their interest in spiritualism. Then, in 1861, the American Civil War began. While husbands, sons, and brothers died at war, often on distant battlefields, they left no possibility for a timely funeral and those who remained behind found solace in the potential to talk to their lost loved ones. And who could blame them? At a time when the average lifespan peaked at around 50 years old, with mothers dying in childbirth and many succumbing to a variety of illnesses, the idea of being able to speak to the one you loved and lost was a way to deal with your grief. Mary Todd Lincoln, the first lady, was one of these grieving spiritualists. She turned to spiritualism after the death of her sons, William, in 1862 at the age of 11. She's even known to have hosted many seances in the Red Room in the White House with President Lincoln himself in attendance. In more recent times, spiritualism has been seen as either a fraud or an offense to mainstream religion. But after the Civil War and into the earliest 20th century, Seances were seen as a wholesome family activity, something to do on a Friday night. But there was one issue, efficiency. So imagine you're sitting at a table with a group of people. The medium asks a question. Now you wait. One rap for yes, two for no. But what if you want a more specific answer? The medium may begin to recite the alphabet. Each time a letter is marked by a knock or a candle flicker, the medium starts again at the letter A, then repeat as needed. It's easy to imagine that not much information would be passed along in a single evening. So in the new age of spiritualism as a family activity, people wondered, if one could send a telegram across the world, why couldn't communicating with your deceased loved one be as simple? Well, enter Charles Kennard. He's believed to have read about the Fox sisters and seen the rise in the public's 
interest in spiritualism, and he had an idea. Talking boards and automatic writing devices had been around before, but he wanted to create one for the masses. So, with investors Elijah Bond, Colonel Washington Bowie, Harry Wells Rush, William H. A. Mulpin, and John F. Green, Kennard took the idea of the talking spirit board and he opened the Kennard Novelty Company in October 1890 in Baltimore, Maryland. The factory would be producing only exclusively a spirit board for the masses. It should be noted that none of the investors were spiritualists or mediums. They were, however, capitalists, and Kennard's idea struck them as a very worthy investment. According to Robert Murch, a Ouija historian, and I really wish that Ouija historian had been on a list of careers when I was in high school. Anyway, Murch says the name Ouija was given by the spirits themselves. Bond's sister, Helen Peters, was a medium and used the prototype board to ask the spirits to name it. The planchette spelled out Ouija, and when asked for the meaning of the words, the spirits simply wished her good luck. Later, Peters admitted to wearing a locket with a photo of a woman and the name Ouija inscribed on it. Some believe the woman was actually Ouida, a popular author and women's rights activist of the time. Regardless of its origin, Ouija now had its name. Now they needed a patent, but before the chief patent officer would allow the patent to be issued, he required proof that the board actually worked. With Peters and Bond in attendance, he asked the board to spell out his name. And the Ouija board obligingly spelled his name. The shocked and mystified man got Bond his patent. Of course, Bond was actually a patent attorney, so it's quite possible he knew the man's name beforehand. Still, the deed was done. And for the sum of $1.50 American, Ouija had been patented on February 10th, 1891. Ouija was marketed as a toy or a game and quickly became popular. The Canard Novelty Company expanded from one factory in Baltimore to two, and then also two in New York, Chicago, and one in London. In time, though, Canard and Bond moved on to pursue other things. An employee who got in on the ground floor stepped in. William Fald, an employee and stakeholder in the Canard Novelty Company, began to run the company, and not long after, he purchased the shares of the remaining original stakeholder, Colonel Bowie, in 1919 for just a single dollar. But Ouija is nothing if not mysterious, and while Fald had many years of success selling Ouija boards, in 1927, after a railing on the roof of his new factory collapsed, Fald fell to his death. This new factory he was visiting, well, Fault claimed that Ouija had told him to build it. Depending on the audience, the Ouija board has been marketed as both a mysterious oracle for spiritualists and a game for family entertainment. But no matter what is believed its main purpose is, its popularity has only increased over time. Even during the Great Depression, the newly minted Fold Company opened new factories to keep up with the demand. And in 1966, the Fald Company was sold to Parker Brothers, the makers of Monopoly, for $2 million. Only a year later, Ouija outsold Monopoly, and anyone who has ever played Monopoly can understand why. <laughs> Ouija was gaining popularity every year, 
but it was in 1973 that it transformed from popular to infamous and iconic. That was the year a movie was released about a young girl using a Ouija board all alone, only to become possessed by a demon. That movie was The Exorcist. Before this, regardless of whether one saw the spirit board as a game or a toy, or believed in its actual power to communicate with the afterlife, it was seen as something benign, harmless fun for the family. It was even featured in the comedy show I Love Lucy, with friends Lucy and Ethel using Ouija to have a seance. But after The Exorcist, Ouija was now labeled a tool of the devil. Using it would invite demons, poltergeists, and other malevolent spirits into your home, or worse, your body. And it was denounced by religious groups. So, of course, after that, it sold even more, not just as a toy now, but as a rebellious act and for its fear factor. Since then, Ouija has become a pop culture icon. In 1991, Parker Brothers was acquired by Hasbro, but still the Ouija board lives on. It's been a narrative tool in many movies and TV shows since appearing in The Exorcist. These include movies like Paranormal Activity, The Conjuring 2, and of course, movies Ouija and Ouija Origin of Evil. One movie is even inspired by true events. The Spanish horror movie Veronica is based on the events supposedly surrounding the mysterious death of Estevania Gutierrez Lazaro. A young girl living in southern Madrid in 1990, it was her dabbling in the occult that led to her death, according to her parents. During a seance using the Ouija board with friends, strange smoke was apparently seen going into Estefania's mouth and nose. In the six months following this, she suffered from seizures and hallucinations. She raged at her family and swore she saw evil shadows walking past her room at night. Her parents took her to doctors, but none could diagnose her with anything. They could find no medical reason for her seizures or her behavioral changes. And a few months later, she was found dead in her bedroom. Her death is still unexplained. The Ouija board is still marketed and sold as a board game, and it sells millions of copies a year. Not bad for a patent that cost only $1.50. Although many other talking boards have come along, when we think of contacting the spirits, we still think Ouija. Looking online, you can find so many stories about individuals using the Ouija board. They range from strange, mysterious, to funny, and downright scary. They can be found all over Reddit and other story-sharing websites. But I wanted to share my own Ouija story with you. Like most people, the Ouija board usually came out whenever there was a slumber party. One of my friends or I would generally bring ours for a Saturday night. We'd ask it the usual questions about boys in the future, but nothing particularly interesting ever happened. The story I wanted to tell you actually starts well before my teenage years. I was probably about 10 or 11, and I invited some of the kids from the neighborhood over to hang out in the backyard. My dad had built a fort in my backyard that we used to play in. Well, this one time, one of the girls that was older than me decided to bring her Ouija board. We took the Ouija board into the fort and a bunch of us started to play. In the beginning, nothing was really happening, but all of a sudden, the planchet started to move. But almost immediately when it started to move, my dog, who had been sleeping soundly behind me the whole time, leapt up and started barking furiously. 
the planchette stopped moving and we couldn't get it to work for the rest of the day. Did my dog sense something? Well, I don't know. They do say that animals can sense things that humans can't. Who knows, right? So what do you believe? Have you ever used a Ouija board? Are you brave enough to use one alone? How about in a cemetery or an unknown haunted house? Has a Ouija board ever predicted anything for you that came true? Or do you believe that you might have actually spoken to a loved one who's crossed over? I'd love to hear your stories. So if you please email me at encyclopediaofthemacabre at gmail.com, I'd love to share them on a future episode. But for now, we've come to the end of our chapter. What will our next chapter bring? Well, join me next time to find out. And until then, stay spooky. You have been listening to the Encyclopedia of the Macabre. Cover art is by C. O'Reilly Todd. Broken piano music is by Vivek Abhishek. Please check out today's episode notes for references used in my research. This is an entirely independent podcast, so if you liked this episode, please like, subscribe, and rate me on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen. If you can't find me on your preferred app, please let me know, and I will work to get encyclopedia on it. To hear what's coming up or to share your stories of the macabre, please follow me on Instagram and Twitter.